Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. I'm really excited to be back here in this place. I believe with all my heart that God is doing something incredibly special here and can really, as Ryan was mentioning, can't you just, can't you feel his presence really here already? Um, today is intentioned. It's on purpose. And so whenever we feel that, we kind of perk up our ears and say, okay, Lord, what do you have for me today so that I can learn and share that with other people? I get so excited to be able to talk about the things I'm learning about God and to be able to learn more about who he is and why that matters to me and why that matters to you. So today um, we're going to be talking about these sort of these three words, we had hoped. This is a phrase that's actually taking, taken right out of scripture. We had hoped, and these three words really communicate so much. Have you, have you ever hoped for something? Of course you have. We've all hoped for something. I think it's something um, we began doing when we were quite small. Um, uh, I think hope comes naturally for children. Um, they see something, they think, why, why not? Why can't I have that thing? Think about Christmas. From the time we were little, we, our parents said to us, sit down, make a list. What is it you want? Put it on paper and maybe you're going to get it. And we set that expectation and that hope. We count down the days and then Christmas morning, right? We're supposed to get everything we hoped for. It's sort of a, a setup, right? And we, we, we learn to hope in that way from the time we're quite small. Have you ever hoped for something and it not come to pass? Again, of course you have. We all have. In a room with, the, with this amount of people in it, I think it's an experience that we've all, we all have in common, um, that we've hoped for something, expected something, waited for something, and then on Christmas morning, you know, it wasn't exactly um, what we had imagined. And I just want to say that disappointment, it, that's called disappointment, and disappointment, it's just terrible, right? Like, there's nothing that's really that wonderful or beautiful in disappointment. If I can say it, it just really, really sucks. Disappointment is hard. It really is. You know, there's actually a physical thing that happens in your body when you experience disappointment. I, uh, I typed in, I, I googled, you know, what happens in your body when you get disappointed. And there was all this scientific stuff that I'm not going to repeat because most of the words I probably couldn't say correctly anyway, but it has to do with neurotransmitters and neurons and, and chemicals that are released in your body. And, and when disappointment happens, it's one of the only times where two separate opposing hormones are released into your brain at the same time. And so it's a, it's a unique experience. It's not like any other. It, it, it's unique to itself. And they actually say that upon disappointment, there is a let down or a loss of physical energy in your body. So I can relate to that. I've certainly felt that. You know, you're almost, your posture is even different upon disappointment. You feel like, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to try again. Like there's this letdown. And there's an effect when this dopamine and serotonin and a couple of other, yeah, things that I can't pronounce, but are released. And they say it's like, it's called the dimmer switch effect. So literally, it's like there's a brightness in your brain, you get disappointed, and someone dims the light. So I'm here to tell you this is a legit thing. Disappointment is, is real. 
It's a thing. And we're going to talk about it today. Yay. <laughs> I know. doesn't sound like it's all that positive. But the truth is, it is a common thing that we all get. And so we're going to talk. We're going to, I felt like the Lord said to talk about that today. So that, that's what we're going to do. I, like a good parent, the good parent that I am, I'm trying to teach my children how to deal with disappointment. And yeah, it's not going so well. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not as easy as you would think. I think especially to a child, right? Because they throw everything into what they want and they truly believe the thing that they need right now, the thing that's present in front of them, it's going to change their world. It's going to make everything better. It's going to be sunshine and roses and I need this thing and I need it right now. I need this cookie. I need this toy. But you have a toy just like it. But this doll has a different dress than this doll or the, you know, or a play date or whatever it is that they're hoping for or wanting for or wanting to do. Um, and they, they kind of think it's the only thing that's going to make them happy in the moment. Um, and when, when that doesn't happen, I don't know about your children or children that you've been around, but for me, it's as if the world has ended. There are tears and tantrums and what am I going to do with my life? And it's kind of a big deal. I can also relate to feeling that way, even as an adult at times. But when you see it in a child, you think, you're going to be okay without this cookie, right? But in the moment, it feels completely devastated, um, devastating for them. But they're going to experience disappointment. And I am trying to teach them and prepare them for that. But I have to tell you a story of something that happened this week where I was actually the perpetrator of said disappointment. <laughs> so I need a little grace and I need a little support here as I tell you the story. I, I think I blew it for the tooth fairy this week <laughs> in my house, right? So I have a son who's just turned eight and he had this tooth in the front and the back, the root had broken in the back and it was kind of sticking down in the front. And I don't know, something about loose teeth, and I don't know, it just freaks me out a little bit. I don't know if it's you, but so it's been hanging there. Well, one night this week, it was Taco Tuesday, really hard to eat tacos with a, with a tooth that's kind of pressing against the gum. So we were really cheering him on. Come on, you can do it. You know, you can get this tooth out because I was not about to try. Again, it just, it's kind of gross, right? The sounds, anyway. So, so he's trying and he's crying and he says, I can't do it. And we're teaching him to be brave. Eventually pulls hard enough and that tooth pops right out. I have to tell you, I leapt up off the ground. I was so excited. So we were celebrating. It was a big deal. This tooth had come out. It was wonderful. We even had a party for the tooth. And like, it was, it was a big night, right? It was this big occasion. Of course, I can't wait for the tooth fairy. This was all he was saying the rest of the night. So we go through the night. We put him to bed. He sleeps. So the next morning, I go through the night, and you can imagine what happened. I, I completely forgot. I completely forgot to remind the tooth fairy, in case any of you in the room still believe in the tooth fairy, too, to come. Anyway, I wake up in the morning to my son, Mom, Mom, the tooth fairy, the tooth fairy didn't come. I mean, disappointment. He's crying. I did all that work. You said the tooth fairy was coming. There's no tooth fairy. I am like in a grog, but I'm like, how am I going to fix this? I'm like, dude, I don't know what happened, but we'll figure it out. And I, I, I don't know. Let's just, let's get ready for school. So he's, he's crying and I'm like, you're going to be okay. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? So anyway, as they're getting ready, I have this brilliant idea. He is in the top bunk and he sleeps on two pillows 
And the case that holds the tooth is this little glow-in-the-dark tooth. And it was under the first pillow. So I'm thinking maybe he didn't check under the second pillow. So I run downstairs. I get a toonie instead of the usual loony because of mom guilt. And I throw the toonie in. And I run upstairs. And while he's brushing his teeth, I throw it under that second pillow. And I'm like, I got this. So he finishes brushing his teeth. I said, dude, you know, we, let, let's go back. Let's, let's look again. Let's just check one more time. Mom, it's not there. I already checked. One more time. So he goes under, looks under the first pillow. No, mom, see? And I said, well, did you check under the other pillow? He pulls open the other pillow. He is elated. Ah, oh, there's a toonie. Mom, it's a toonie. I'm like, I know. <laughs> so I'm thinking, I got this. You know, nailed it, right? And so that's what I'm thinking. So then he pulls out this little glow-in-the-dark tooth container. He opens it up, and he's like, Mom, my tooth is gone. And I'm like, well, yeah. I know the tooth fairy takes your tooth. He's like, but 10 minutes ago, the tooth was here. And I did just like this, and then he just tilted his head, and he just smiled at me, and he goes, you're the tooth fairy, Mom. <laughs> okay, so I blew it for the tooth, but, but we have to learn. We have to learn how to deal with disappointment, you know, because people that are supposed to take care of us will disappoint us. I don't know. I don't know what the lesson is in that, but the thing is, we have disappointment in our life, right? All kinds big and small, and our reactions to them are sometimes big and sometimes small, but we all experience them. And I'm not sure how many of us have gotten better than we were as children at handling disappointment. Would you say that's true? I think that's true. I don't know how well we've been taught as a culture, but especially as Christians, um, I think that this is true. I have, have you ever felt guilty about feeling disappointed? And just in your life and just feeling guilty because I have so much and, you know, maybe I shouldn't have wanted this, felt guilty. I have. What about, um, have you ever felt it, especially when you feel disappointment um, with God? I mean, I certainly have. And I, when I experienced it, I didn't even know really how to have a conversation about it because I felt like it was kind of wrong to say it out loud. Um, my first big disappointment was when uh, I finished high school and I had felt since I was really young just the call in my life to just serve the Lord kind of full-time as my vocation. And, and so I decided I was going to go to Bible college. And I'd been looking and searching and I'd found the perfect college for me. And it was a school called Elam Bible Institute. It was in Rochester, New York. Um, I'm from North Carolina, by the way, for those who don't know. So I was going to go to New York and I was really excited and all set to go. And about a month before I was going to go to this school, um, my mom and dad sat me down, and I particularly remember my dad, who very lovingly and with kindness explained to me that he didn't think this was the year for me to go. My brother, who was a year older, had been at a, at a different Bible college and had closed down for financial reasons, and so he said, I think we, we, we should send your brother instead. And so I understood, but I was so devastated because, first of all, I thought, here I am, God, saying, I want to give you my whole life and I'm headed in that direction, and you picked someone else. That's really what it felt like. I felt looked over. I felt, you know, like put aside. And the enemy, the reason I tell you this story, not because the disappointment was so profound, but because the enemy whispered to me in that moment, this is going to be your life. Your life is going to be full of disappointment. And I believed him. At the time, I didn't know. I didn't recognize it as his voice. And I thought, Wow. Maybe that's true, and, I, and fear actually came, and I was pretty afraid of that. So fast forward a few years, I ended up at another school, and I met a Canadian 
boy, yeah. And, um, and we got married, and just about three or four months after we had been married, I started having these symptoms in my body physically that were, that were alarming. And so we began sort of an investigative process, and over the next couple months, I was diagnosed with a chronic uh, autoimmune disease that they told me at the time I would always have, uh, called ulcerative colitis. Um, and I began to deal with that. Well, here I am again. Like, I've been serving, you know, like, God, I don't understand. I don't understand why this is happening. And for the next three years, three plus years, I've really struggled intensely with this disease. I was in a constant flared state, and I was, I was quite sick. And I prayed and prayed and prayed for healing, and healing did not come in the way I prayed for. It did. I ended up having a surgery and eventually sort of recovered from that. And, and then as I moved forward from that, I thought this was the time we wanted to start our family. This was our big dream. This was something we'd hoped for and talked about and planned for. And we'd had to put aside because I was on all these medications. And so we were unable to get pregnant. And now was the time. So we started on that journey. And we were pretty excited. And after a year, which is a long time when you're trying for something repeatedly, after a year, we sort of thought, this maybe isn't going to go the way that we thought. And I want to say that if I know that some of you in the room either have walked this journey or maybe have know someone who's walked this journey, but the struggle of infertility is quite intense. And the hardest part of this journey is that it's this cycle. It's this constant trying, hoping, disappointment. Trying, hoping, disappointment. Literally repeats itself every month. And so we did not know at the time we started that from the time we started until the time we held our son would be a 10-year journey. So some of you, as I said, understand this, but others of you have had other journeys, right? Journeys where you've waited, journeys where you've hoped and tried. They involve time or repeated letdown, sort of that dimmer switch effect, so you can relate. Our title today is this phrase, we had hoped. And it comes from our text today, which is in Luke 24. And it was spoken by two followers of Jesus just days after the crucifixion. Talk about disappointing. Talk about where they had put their hope. Talk about what they thought was possible. And, they, and then there was the death of this man that they not only loved, but they had hoped would literally physically save them. And there he was. So we could each, I think, finish this sentence in so many ways. We had hoped for a spouse, for success in business, for a child, for a different diagnosis, for a happy marriage, for restored friendship, family relationship. And really, the reason I list those, I wasn't even going to do that. But I actually felt the Holy Spirit say, we tend to look especially at our past disappointments and wrap them up and cover them up and put them away. But the Holy Spirit wants to say them out loud today. He wants to remind you that there was disappointment there and that that's okay because today what the Father wants to do, when I prayed for you guys, I was praying, Lord, what's the word that you want to speak to them today? He said, I want to talk to them about how to deal with disappointment, past disappointment, present disappointment, and even something that may come in the future. I remember in those years, those, that season of my life that seemed to be peppered with disappointment, I remember struggling not just 
with, with that guilt of disappointment, but struggling as a Christian. I did not know how to process it. I knew God was good. I knew I wanted to declare his goodness. I had faith. I believed he could heal. You know what I mean? I believed all that, but I didn't know how to talk about it. I was just kind of guilt and shame for even having questions. And I remember thinking, who can I say this out loud to? And I kind of picked up a bunch of books about it, was trying to read, but no one seemed to really be talking about it. And um, so today we're going to talk about it, okay? It's okay to talk about it. Your questions, your doubts, your fears, it's okay. I believe that God wants to show you where he is and what he does in the middle of our disappointments and even how he feels when you feel disappointed because not only will he walk with us in it, but he actually wants to walk us through it. But if we don't allow him into it, then we don't heal properly to move forward from it. Does that make sense? So that's the point. We're not wallowing. We're not trying to feel sad. It's, it's not about that. It's about, God, what are you teaching us in it so that we can go through it? So you are not alone in dealing with disappointment, even disappointment with the Lord. This book right here is full of stories. It's full of stories. Think about the Psalms, right? David, right? He was pretty honest and wrote down his feelings for sure. Some of the Psalms, I kind of feel like some of the Psalms that David wrote were sort of like Israel's country music, you know? <laughs> you know, he lost this, this got stolen, he was not going to get this back, you know, he wished he had. So when I read them, I kind of hear them to the tune of country music. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? But, but it was legit, like he was like bringing that before the Lord. Yeah. So today, our story is from Luke 24. And so if you have that in your phone or your Bible, I encourage you just to turn there because I think seeing the words will help them stay with us. I love this story so much. I think it's a short little story. It gets passed over all the time because the story takes place on the day of the resurrection. And so we read the part in the few verses ahead where Jesus has already showed himself to Mary and he's starting to show up for people. And so we read the story about these disciples on the road to Emmaus and one of them doesn't even have a name. So we kind of just skip over it. But there is so much. God is showing us so clearly in this story how he responds in our disappointment and in our pain and in our sadness. So the context is this. This is after the crucifixion. This is on the third day. And these followers are devastated, as we will see in this passage. So lots of theories and ideas about who these disciples were. One was named Cleopas. We know that from the passage. And the other, we're unsure as to who this person was, potentially his wife, which his wife was also possibly one of the women that were at the cross at the, at, with Jesus at the cross. So there's a chance that one of these disciples had a front row seat to this um, terrible thing that had happened in this disappointment. So let's start and let's read in verse, verses 13 and 14. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles, which is about 11 kilometers, from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. I just want to pause there because I think it is good to walk with someone else and to talk with them in your disappointment. You know, the enemy wants to isolate you all the time, but especially when you're vulnerable. He wants to isolate you. He says, nobody else gets it. Nobody else has felt this. You are alone in your experience. 
and he wants you to keep quiet. He doesn't want you to talk about it because he knows the power of the two are better than one, even better than we do, I think. So he is actively working to isolate you. Do not walk alone. That's my first encouragement. So let's go on. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, which is the things that had just transpired in the previous days, it says Jesus himself came. Came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So the first thing you need to know is that Jesus comes to you. He came to them. God's not this God in heaven who only waits for you to go to him. He was active. He went. He had a lot to do. He was resurrected. There was probably a list. He had a lot of things to do, a lot of people he needed to see. Jerusalem was the place where most of the Jews had gathered, but he went outside of Jerusalem and found these two and walked with them. He wants you to know today that he sees you where you are, even if you're walking away from the place where you had experienced him. He sees you. The only thing we really know about Emmaus is that it was away from Jerusalem. I want you to listen to these promises to combat the lies of the enemy. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Ever-present, never leaving. Psalm 34.18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Psalm 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted, binding up their wounds. You know, you can't bind up a wound from a distance. He's right there, right close to the thing that's hurting, and he's actively caring for that. The same God who promises never to leave you or forsake you is not absent in your pain and your sadness and your questions. Yet somehow we think this is true. I have felt it. Have you felt that? It's like something... Even something you pray for or hope for, it doesn't happen. You feel, All of a sudden, there's this feeling of aloneness. God, where are you? Like, Why didn't you come through here? Where are you? I, just, I think of Lazarus's sister. He had two sisters, Mary and Martha, but I particularly think of Mary. In John chapter 11, this is what she says after her brother has died. She sent for Jesus. He was sick. Jesus didn't come. And so she was there, and when he did come, she said, if only you had been here, where were you? She had hoped for healing, but was cleaning up from a funeral. Jesus did come to her, and it says, I love this. So he came to her, and he, he, and he sent for her, come, come to me. So she made that choice. She came. She came out to him. She asked him her questions. And when he saw her and the others around her, they were distraught, they were sad, they were grieving. When he saw her weeping, it says he was deeply moved in spirit. And the next verse is one of the most profound because that's you know a verse that's super easy to memorize, but Jesus wept. He, he wept, he, he cares about us there. But I always, I kind of wondered, like why was Jesus crying? Because he literally knew that in less than 15 minutes, he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Like, there was good news coming. Like, this was good. And not only that, the very next day, he was in Jerusalem. Like, it was a matter of 
nine days before he was going to end death forever. Do you know what I mean? Like he knew what was just ahead, but he didn't rush and go there. He wasn't, that's not what he was saying. He, he, he saw her pain, her grief, what it feels like to lose a loved one. And he cried with her. He cried with her before he even began to do the miracle. So Jesus did that. He knew this was temporary, but he was in it with her. He didn't belittle or discredit her pain, her pain and he doesn't do that with yours either, guys. You know, there's a name for God. There's, there's different names of God, and one of them is Jehovah El Roy, and it means the God who sees. And I really felt as I was preparing that there are people here in the room that, that can see God seeing other people but have believed the lie that he doesn't really see you, that you, you kind of feel invisible and you kind of feel like there's not a lot to you to be noticed, but it is who he is. It is literally in his name that he sees you. Can I suggest that he's with you, but just like the second part of this verse, you just haven't recognized him yet. Even when you look back at these other things, just because you can't recognize him in the difficult situation or season, it doesn't mean he wasn't there. Verse 16 said they were kept from recognizing him. And there's some debate as to what this means, they were kept. There's kind of two big theories. One is that they were so consumed with sorrow and despair that it blinded them, that it blinded them to everything else around them. In verse 17, Jesus asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? And it says, they stood still, faces downcast. Other translations say discouraged, gloomy, sad, downcast. Their face were downcast. And I don't know, can you relate to that? I think we can easily identify with that, that we can get overcome by our circumstances. Our focus can be on what we don't have or what didn't happen. And we can look at that, and that's all we can see. That's all we can see. But look at what they're missing. The resurrected Jesus was standing with them. So that's one. But the more commonly held belief about they were kept is that God actually kept them from recognizing him. And even some of your translations um, say that. God kept them from recognizing him. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Jesus just walks with them, asking questions and listening to their story. He was in no hurry. He didn't show up with a, ta-da, I'm resurrected. Don't be sad. Stop, stop. You know, don't be sad. Just be happy. I'm here. He didn't do that. He didn't rush them through their sadness or their grief or their questions or even their doubt. Man, that's hard for us. It's maybe even hard for you to hear because you kind of think, no, what's the point of that? Let's move on. Let's hear the good news. Let's, let's get out of this place. But that is not what Jesus did. We want a quick fix, right? Even with other people. We want to make other people feel better. You know, when someone comes to you and they're sad, isn't your tendency to be like, but what about this? Or, you know, we want to make them smile and feel better. I feel that. You know, I don't want you to be sad. I don't want this to be hard. So let's pretend everything's okay. But that is not what Jesus does. Jesus stays with them. He is in no hurry. There is a purpose 
to the process. There is a purpose to the process in your life. There are things that happen on this side of the resurrected Jesus, of of the hope of heaven. There are things that happen here that Jesus doesn't want to rush us through. So that guilty feeling, why haven't I worked through this by now? I should be over this. I need to just get a grip. What's wrong with me? All of those internal feelings. I think next time you're feeling that, just sit with that and say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, am I supposed to just sit in this discomfort, this, I don't like this, I'm trying to get out of this, but what do you have for me here? How are you coming to me in this place? Yeah, so let him lead you out of that place in his time and his purpose. Because I also don't think we're supposed to live there. But I think we need to trust and follow his leading. So let's look at what happens next as Jesus continues to walk with them. Verse 18, one of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, Jesus asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, I think that's kind of ironic. He's like, I'm Jesus. But anyway, sorry. What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. A prophet? Did you catch that? They called him a prophet. It seems that in their disappointment, they were now unsure of who Jesus really was. I felt that. Just a week before, when he had come into Jerusalem, they were likely a part of the crowd, throwing palm leaves at his feet, calling him king, calling him son of David as they entered Jerusalem. As he was, It looked as though he was fulfilling their hope. They called him these things. They followed him. And a couple of verses down, we're going to see that they had hoped he was the Messiah. Messiah, the Savior, the one. But now, cautious, they call him a prophet. He's good. Yeah, God's good, but I don't know if he's a healer. I don't know if he's good to everyone. I don't know if God's actively involved in people's life. Maybe he's just set the universe in motion and just sits back and watches. I mean, these are actually things people really believe. And I think a lot of times it comes out of some of these places here. Disappointment can do that. Disappointment can change who we think Jesus is or was. You know, without Jesus in our pain the story gets changed. I've had stories in my life and and circumstances where I have felt the Holy Spirit say to me, stop telling the story that way because that's not the truth of what happened. Let me take you back. Let me show you where I was. And let let me tell you the truth of what was happening there so you can tell the story the way the story really, really was. So we see in verse, let's continue to read here, the chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. So now Cleopas and this disciple begin to tell Jesus what's happened. And they crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue us, is what the New Living Translation said. They most like most of Israel and like us, had lots of hopes for Jesus. They believed the Messiah that was coming would be a political and a military um, savior, coming to physically save them and rescue them from the oppression of the nations that were around them. 
We know who Jesus was. We see the story from the other side. We think that doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, a military, because what he was was so much more than that. But this is what they had hoped he was. So what were your hopes for Jesus? Who did you think he was? Maybe the changer of, your, of one's husband or wife, maybe career planner, maybe financial aid, protector, healer. And it's not that any of these things are wrong because I think God is that to us at times and does answer us in those ways. So let's not be, be so hard on the disciples here for missing the point because I think we miss the point sometimes too. If you think about it, God had been these things for them before. If you look at the Old Testament, he was there. He did, you know, deliver them from nations. He was there, um, helped them in battle. He did these things for them. He actually rescued them in that way. This is how they had known him. He had met these expectations for them before, but not this time. So I kind of get why they were a bit confused. But he was coming to them in a new way. They expected what they knew And they could only see what was right in front of them. Guys, it's the same. Don't we do the same? This is how you've shown up before, so I'm expecting that now, and that's not happening, and now I'm in a crisis of who you actually are. This is the pain. This is the question. This is the unanswered prayer right here in front of me, and I, this is, it's all I can see. As a matter of fact, you might be standing right here, the resurrected Jesus, and All I can see is this. And I am not saying that today to criticize you. I'm not saying that today for guilt or condemnation. I'm just saying it's a reality of what we do as we deal with things on our own. It's how we know how to process. It's how we know how to look at things. So as we go on, I want to see something that's really interesting here and how to sort of process through it a little bit more. On the next few verses, we're not going to read them, but these followers begin to share share with Jesus about what happened that morning. The women went to the tomb to bring Jesus some flowers. He wasn't there. And so we think someone stole the body. And they were saying that he, you know, they thought they saw him. But literally the verses before said it was nonsense to them. Like it made no sense. Kind of like now the women are going crazy, you know. And the disciples went there and they confirmed that the body wasn't there. So this is not good. Where is the body of Jesus? We just can't take it. We got out of there. We are on our way somewhere else. But as they talk and talk and tell him their story, Jesus just listens. He's just listening. So another thing that you need to know in your disappointment, first, he comes to you. He sees you where you are. And secondly, he listens. He listened to them. And he is listening to you. He knew everything they were discussing and talking about. He knew it. He was literally at the tomb that morning talking to them. Like, he knew the story, and, but he, he'd been there. So he's not after information. He's after conversation. He's not after information. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking to have a conversation with you. That's what he's looking He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to tell him your story and ask him your questions and express your doubts and fears. That is what he wants. The devil wants to silence you. He wants to shut you down. He wants to shut down your voice and keep you discouraged. He wants to keep your struggle internal. But God says, cast all your cares upon me. It doesn't say, cast all your solutions on me. It says, cast all your cares on me. And this is for the men in the room, too. I know sometimes we think women process better because they talk 
they talk to process things. But God wants to hear your voice, men, too. He wants to hear you talk and say things out loud and get things outside of your body because not only is he listening to you, but he also wants to respond to you. If we go down, we see that Jesus answers them. He actually talks back to you. He wants to teach you. Verse 27, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to him what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Have you given Jesus a chance to speak to you in your disappointments? Have you listened for his voice? I just want to encourage you to talk to him before you pick up the phone to call or text. Just talk to him. Vent before him. Tell him. He is listening. You can hear his voice. He wants to teach you. That's what he wants to do. So he listens, and then he talks back to you. And then there's this, in verse 28, as they approached the village, Jesus acted as if he was going to continue on, but they urged him strongly, stay with us. So there comes a point in your journey where you have to choose, or you get to choose, to say, stay with me. Stay with me. And so, because Jesus is not going to force himself you get to invite him to stay, stay. The disciples could have carried on in the direction that they were going. Some of you feel like you can manage this alone, these disappointments that have happened in your life alone. They could have stayed on that path away from Jerusalem, from community, away from where they had known God, but they said, stay with us, stay with us. They would have missed this next verse if they would have done that. Verse 29, he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. When we invite him in to the disappointment to stay with us, first of all, he always comes in. And secondly, he reveals himself to us. And this is the final thing I want us to see. He will reveal himself. He wants to make himself known. He does not stay hidden in your life. They were kept from recognizing him until this moment. There will be a moment. And you may not have had it yet in your present disappointment or your past. But if you will invite him into the process, I promise you there will be a moment where he reveals himself. The revelation of who he is changes everything. Everything. The revelation, when they knew that it was him, it changed everything. It changed, look, he, it changed everything. It changed their direction, and it changed their continued experience with Jesus. It says after he left, they went back to Jerusalem. So it was about a two and a half hour walk. It was late in the day. They invited, had invited him to stay for dinner, but they didn't care. They, they turned around, they booked it back to Jerusalem, back into community, back to those disciples who were experiencing disappointment, back to the place where they had known God, even back to the place where there had been pain. But they went back with a new revelation and they said to the disciples, it's true, like he has risen. And then it says Jesus showed up. He came back. They saw him again and again and again. And that's what happens when we invite him in. We don't stay on the road away when we come back he reveals himself to us again and again and again. And they would have missed that. And I don't want anyone here in this room to miss that today, to feel like, well, that happened, but 
and just give it another name or tell a different story because Jesus today wants to say in your current discouragement and disappointment and in what has happened to you in the past, I want to show you where I was. I want to reveal myself to you. Let me tell you something, you guys. You are not all seeing and you are not all knowing. Yeah? But God is. His ways are higher. He sees more than we see. So will we let him reveal what that is to us? I started by telling you the story of our struggle with infertility. I want to fast forward nine years, right, all the pregnancy tests. We had six IUIs. We had one failed IVF cycle. But finally, we found ourselves pregnant. It was a boy. We were elated, excited. It was was amazing. But I remember asking God why. Like, why did I have to wait so long? Why the struggle And why now? And he said, crystal clearly, he said, this was not about you. This was about him. I was waiting for him. This was the time that he needed to be on the planet for the purposes and plans I have for you. See, I had thought it was about me. I had limited vision, but it was beyond what I could see. And I would go through it again to have my son fulfill his destiny on the earth today. So that was my big reveal in that moment. But I know it kind of seems like in the story of Luke and even in you know the story I've told you today that, well, that's nice for you. It's kind of wrapped up all nice and neat. There's a nice little bow on that. And I understand that all disappointments aren't like that. As a matter of fact, most of them aren't. We, we've also walked through a miscarriage and a really a close friend committing suicide. And we walked through Uh, friends and family that have gone through excruciating divorce. And so we know that not everything has this bow that wraps up really neatly. So just right before I close, I just want to speak to those disappointments for just a minute. I want to point out something in the story today, actually, that these disciples didn't receive the answer to the prayers that they had prayed. Jesus didn't physically deliver them from Rome. As a matter of fact, Israel stayed in captivity for well, until about 1950, like the history of being ruled by other nations. And so it wasn't that he answered that specific prayer. There was no neatly packaged, oh, I eventually get what I hope for. You know, it doesn't always work out that way. But what he had done was beyond what they could see. They had hoped for a physical savior. He had delivered them for eternity, beyond what was now, right? He had changed everything, not in their external circumstance, but in their internal and eternal experience. And that is what we have to remember. So I just want to show you a picture of something, just a sec. So let's say this rope represents your life, okay? Imagine it goes on, on and around and everything. So this this rope represents your life, and this, this red part of the rope here, this represents your life here on this planet, right? And, and this is where we are, and this is what we know, and this is what we can get caught up in. And let me tell you something, there's pain here sometimes, and there's disappointment, and there's unresolved um, disappointments that happen. But... We have a hope beyond this because if this represents our life on this planet, 
the rest of the rope represents our life for eternity. Guys, this is the beginning of the beginning of eternity, and that is what Christ has for us. If our perspective and our vision is limited to this right here, that you might st stay stuck in disappointment. There may be things, but I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. Jesus gets it. He weeps with us. He knows it's painful. He knows it's hard, and he's with us. He sees you. He's listening to you. He wants you to talk to him. He wants to talk back to you. He wants to reveal things now, things that we can't see and the purposes that he has for us here. But ultimately, guys, we have a hope that's different from anyone else. Our hope isn't in the red tape space. Our hope is in this for eternity and what he's doing in you what is, is producing something. Let me tell you something. That's why scriptures like this are so, look at this. I want to show you. What's, what's the verse is this? Where did it go here? Romans 8, 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. We may not fully understand it now, but he's gonna reveal it, I promise. And, and look at this. How is the kind of hope that gets us through to eternity produced? It says in Romans 5.5 that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in our sufferings. What? Who rejoices in sufferings? Uh, no, but it says we rejoice in our sufferings because we know this. We rejoice in our sufferings because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces what? Hope hope. And you know what's kind of cool? The Bible says this kind of hope will never disappoint us. The hope that does not produce is produced in the process of our disappointments. Right? That's what God does in us. That's what God does. So Hebrews 6.18, last verse. I know I've been saying that I'm going to end for a few minutes. This really is the last verse. It says, we who have fled to him for refuge. So see, that's our choice. Where do we go in our disappointment? We who have fled to him for refuge can have confidence as we hold on to this hope. As we hold on to the hope that lies before us. And this hope, it's strong and it's trustworthy and it anchors our soul like we sang in the song earlier. It's an anchor for us. And you know what it does? It leads us through. It leads us through. This eternal hope leads us through anything. It leads us through the curtain into where? God's inner sanctuary. It leads us to God, his presence, his intimacy, his closeness. Jesus wants to walk with you in your disappointment and he wants to bring you through them. That is the hope that we have today. Will you invite him to stay with you today? Will you invite him to come as we worship? I just want to encourage you guys. Listen, we have a choice of how we see where God was and how God is with us and then what we choose, how we choose to invite him into that place. I think he wants to teach you today. I think he wants to reveal things to you today that you haven't known before in your current circumstance and in past circumstances. So Father, we pray right now by your spirit that you would begin to do that. We pray and invite the spirit of revelation. We pray and invite a spirit that that um, will uncover things that we have put away that we have hidden that would uncover lies that God doesn't care about you that he wasn't in you in your moments of pain and distress and questions I pray that you would God that you by your spirit would bring the questions up so that you can answer them today so that they do not stay inside of us but that we can lay them before you so I just want to encourage you as we sing as we worship have an open posture Lord what are you showing me today what do you want to teach me what do you want to 
to, to reveal in me and let me know that you are with me. We do have hope, friends. We do have hope. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.